You're listening to. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Sex Gets Real. Sex Gets Real. Sex Gets Real. Sex Gets Real. With Don Sarah. With Don Sarah. Thanks. Bye. Hey everyone, it's Dawn. This week we have a wonderful interview with Amber Kaiser, who is an author, and she wrote a book called The V Word, which is a book all about sexual firsts. And I was really amazed when I picked up this book, just how sex positive and inclusive and beautiful and deep all of the stories were. They include trans voices and queer stories. And uh, it's a book that I would, I hope that like every teenage person in the world has an opportunity to read, but also it was really moving for me as an adult. Amber is really thoughtful and intelligent and has some really amazing things to say about virginity as a concept and um, how all of these stories in this book got birthed. But before we get to that, I want to share a listener confession for this week. Of course, January's theme is all about firsts, which is perfect for my chat with Amber. And and this one actually just came in. The story says, I'm a trans woman, so I have a lot of firsts, but there is one that really stands out. The first time I came out, I was 12. I had a huge crush on my best friend at the time. I was trying to keep my sexuality a secret, but it was slowly eating away at me. One day, I thought I just needed to get it out. I was in the park with my friend. I don't know how I mustered the courage. And I told him, I think I may be bisexual. And he said, do you want to give me a BJ? I said, yes. And I went down on him in the park. For the next year or so, he and I would walk his girlfriend home, and on the way back to our neighborhood, we would go to the park and have sex. No one knew. This has caused problems for me in my life. Even now, 10 years later, I get very anxious about relationships. If my partner isn't being affectionate enough in public, I start to feel like I'm right back there in the park, hidden, ashamed of, and I hate that feeling. I hope one day I get past all of this. So that was my first time I came out and the first time I had sex all wrapped in one. Thank you for your time, Emery. Thank you so much for sharing that with me, Emery. I really appreciate that you had the courage to share that and your voice and your story is so important as part of this theme of firsts. To everybody else out there, I've been getting your confessions. You can head to sexgetsreal.com for this episode and check out the guidelines for submitting your stories. Um, You can type them out. You can record them and send me the sound file. If you have a story that's under three minutes, we found this out the hard way, you can leave me a voicemail. Um, So please get me those confessions. And of course, if you're on the newsletter, you already know what February's theme is. So make sure you get on the Sex Gets Real newsletter as well so that you can get advanced notice of the following month's theme. I will be announcing that on air a little bit into February, but start sending me confessions for February if you're on the newsletter and you know what the theme is. So let's get ready for the interview. A little bit about Amber. She is an evolutionary biologist 
turned author, which is very evident in in how articulate she is about so many of these issues, who writes both fiction and nonfiction for tweens and teens. In addition to the V word, she is the author of The Way Back from Broken, a heart-wrenching novel all about loss and survival, Sneaker Century, A History of Athletic Shoes, and the forthcoming Point Claw, which is a novel that we talk about in this interview, all about claiming the territory of your body. She's the co-author with Kiersey Burkhart of the middle grade series Quartz Creek Ranch. So we talk about Point Claw, but we spend most of the time talking about the V word, virginity, and first times. So here we go. Welcome to the show, Amber. I am endlessly excited to have you here because I completely fell in love with your book, The V Word, and I'm really happy we're going to have this conversation today. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here too. So uh, interestingly, this month, January, the theme for listener confessions is firsts, and it just seemed like kismet. Perfect. Yeah, that not only are listeners writing in with their own confessions of firsts, but that I was going to get a chance to talk to you and um, dig into your book, The V Word. And so I would love it if you would just tell our listeners a little bit about the book if they're not familiar with it. So The V Word is an anthology that I put together of personal essays by women about first-time sexual experiences. And so there's 17 essays. They're quite explicit. They're very, very personal. And uh, they describe a whole bunch of different kinds of firsts from many diverse perspectives. Uh, The book also has, the book is um, directed for teen girls, uh, but I certainly think young men should be reading it too if they plan on having any sexy times with girls in their future. Mm-hmm. Um, and But the book also has uh, a lot of resources for young people trying to figure out uh, information about sexuality or gender identity or safer sex practices. Uh, the other thing that's in the book that I'm really proud of is a Q&A with a librarian where we talk about depictions of teen sexual behavior in the media. Which is so important and something that so few of us talk about. Well, the interesting thing for me is that, you know, the state of sex education in our country is pretty abysmal, mm-hmm. um, especially given it varies state to state, some states worse than others. Um, so one of the ways that teens are actually getting good and realistic information is from young adult novels, which is really interesting. So part of the reason we had that in there um, was to have a reading list so that if a young woman is curious about female masturbation, she could just go to the library and say, hey, I want to pick up this novel. And nobody would ever have any idea that the reason she wanted it is to look at picture, you know, is to learn about female masturbation. Mm-hmm. We had forever when I was a young person, um, but there's a, a wealth of literature out there right now that um, teens can access to get good, realistic depictions of sexual stuff. Um, which I think is great. So that was part of the reason we wanted that in the book. Yeah, I know when I was a teen and even a tween, you know, I was reading like Sweet Valley High and uh, Judy Bloom. But then I very quickly graduated to my mom's romance novels. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as a 14-year-old, 13-year-old, probably even younger than that, the point of reading the romance novel was to clearly get to the sex scene. Like, you didn't really care about the rest of it. You just wanted to read about the sex because it was... It was an opportunity for me 
to sit in this super sexual explicit space and no one really knew what I was doing. Right. Um, and you know, of course, romance novels, especially from like the eighties and nineties, uh, offer a very different view of what sex looks like than we probably want our young people to (laughs) be doing, you know, like watching porn, which is a wonderful form of entertainment, but not, not necessarily the best form of education. Let me give a little shout out for romance novels in that they, they're, it's one of the few places where you see women enjoying sex. Women getting, wanting to have sex and getting to have sex and having fun having sex and having it be good sex. And I have to wonder if that's part of the reason that the genre is so denigrated because Mm. we as a culture do not like to think about those things, especially not for young women. I think that's such an important point, especially not for young women. We have a tendency, I think, to vilify teen sexuality. We're, we're simultaneously terrified of it and, and upset about it instead of just allowing it to be something that happens. And so we either avoid it or we hyper-focus on it kind of as a culture. And that was one of the things that I actually really, really loved about the V word was for everybody listening, you know, one of the themes of this show is, is inclusion, like radical inclusion. And so you included trans voices and queer voices and someone who is exploring their bisexuality and, and, you know, different ways of being in your body and different ways of having firsts. And, um, it just, it felt like there was so much permission in the book because it was all of these different individuals choosing for themselves how to engage with their bodies and with others. And that was like one of the themes that really, really struck me about the book was whether the story was kind of your classic wedding night first, or it was a first around, you know, having certain types of feelings for somebody else or kissing somebody else. It was really about each of these individuals, like having the opportunity to choose for themselves. And I think that's a big piece of what's missing when we talk to young people about sex is they get to choose instead of us dictating to them what they should do. You know, one of the things that was the, at the foremost of my mind when I was putting this collection together was that it was not going to be prescriptive. It was not going to tell young women what to do. And uh, so when you put together a book like this, you know, of course I did a ton of background reading. So I had every book that I could put my hands on about teens and sexuality and books that were for parents helping their kids through these transitions for teens. And I found one that was, uh, it was like from a series called Decision Points. And then the title was Everything You Need to Know to Choose Abstinence. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Um, so, but you're right. I mean, there, there are lots and lots of people telling young women what to do. And this book was designed to tell young women what sex can be like. Mm -hmm. So it was envisioned as uh, uh, what if a bunch of smart uh, older sisters or aunties sat down with you and just told you their real stories. They told you what it was like. So you had a sense of what the possibilities were out there. Mm -hmm. Because certainly if you're just looking at rom-coms or if you're just looking at pornography, you're just reading romance novels you're getting a pretty small slice of the pie when it comes to what's possible for sexual experiences. 
And I'm curious too, because you're, the very first story in the anthology is yours. Yeah. And it is so, just so wonderfully sweet. <laughs> but after each of the stories, you take a quick moment in the book to just kind of offer some thoughts or some perspectives about about the story and what's coming next. And it kind of offers this really nice thread that pulls you through each of the stories. And what I loved about what you wrote immediately following your story was that you had a little bit of conflict in deciding whether or not the first that you shared really counted as sex. Mm. And I would love to know now that you've done all of this reading and this research and you've created this beautiful book with all of these firsts that really have such a rich range. Like how do you now define sex? Well, there's a lot to unpack in there because part of what's behind that question, I think is the def is the definition of virginity. Yes. And so maybe we should talk about that first because, uh, the book really tries to, to unpack that and take, sort of take the power away from that idea of virginity as a thing that you give away, that someone takes, that is lost, that doesn't come back. Um, because that's not very useful mm-hmm. in terms of the decision-making we do around sex. And that idea leads to a lot of uh, what I think is actually really uh, negative and dangerous behavior around sex. So, so what, uh, in my essay, what I talk about is this very intimate experience when I was 13 with another 13 year old boy and we were naked and there was oral sex in both directions. And we sort of tried to have penetrative sex, but it really just didn't work. I was prepubescent at the time and the parts didn't fit together. And then we got interrupted and, and that was it. And I did spend a lot of time wondering if that was really sex. Am I a virgin now? What, what happened there? Um, and so really in exploring all the behaviors, all the first times in this book, um, I think I've broadened my definition a lot. One, I just want to get that idea of virginity sort of thrown in the trash heap. Yes, please. <laughs> and just think about that there are many first-time experiences that we have and that they can take many different forms and that that broadens this definition of sexual behavior in a way that I think is really useful. So now if I'm thinking about sex, I am really not drawing any distinctions between oral sex and penetrative penis and vagina sex. Mm -hmm. To me, that's all sex. So um, when you look at some of the some things like the cult of virginity in this country or the born again virgin movement or the promise uh you know these movements where girls are promising their virginity to their dads in these parties uh that are really disturbing um you know a lot of those young women are using this very narrow definition of of virgin as not having had penis and vagina sex to go ahead and have anal sex and oral sex and all sorts of other kinds of sex, but still call themselves virgins. Uh And to me, that disconnect between language and, and behavior causes a lot of cognitive dissonance that I don't think is ultimately healthy for us when we're trying to embrace 
what it means to be in our bodies and how we experience our bodies sexually and 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 sort of going back to that idea of choosing what it is we really want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, it's interesting because, you know, one of the other essays in the book, the one by Kate Gray, um, that's a lesbian experience, you know, she's, there's a line in that essay that says something like, I didn't realize I had lost my virginity for years. Mm-hmm. Um, because she also what grew up in this idea that a, a very narrow definition of what sex is and what being a virgin is. So it's not very useful either if we're talking about anything that's not heteronormative. Yeah. Yeah, you know, something that came up for me, and this, I thought this was just so wonderful. This book, The V Word, is for everyone. It's intended for teens, but really, truly, I mean, it, I think it's for every human being on the planet. I agree. I think yeah. so too. Yeah. And, and what struck me so much was, you know, I mean, I'm a sex educator. I've been doing this for years. I've talked about sex like for, I don't know, over a decade at this point and examined so many of my sexual experiences and sexual firsts, even on this podcast. But what had never occurred to me until I read your book was that when people would ask me in the past, like about losing my virginity, I always mm-hmm. told the story of the first time I had penis and vagina sex. I was 21 years old and it was with a boy I'd met off the internet. And that was the first time I had like traditional intercourse. But when I was 14, 15, 16, I was having all kinds of other types of sex that just didn't happen to involve a penis going inside my vagina. You know mm-hmm. I mean? oral sex was happening and humping and fingering and like all of these like really delicious experiences, but it had never occurred to me that those counted as sex, despite the fact that I've had dozens of conversations, even on this show about how my lesbian and my transsexual experiences count as sex. And there was just something really interesting to me about even my personal story and allowing myself to change that story after getting to sit with all of these other people's stories. And that was such a, like a powerful, wonderful exercise for me. That makes me really happy. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> for many of us who wrote our stories for this essay or for this collection, writing the essays, um, actually reclaimed our own narratives as well. So for me, and I mentioned it in the book briefly, but I really carried a ton of shame around about this experience for most of my life. I didn't talk about it. I didn't tell people about it. We were really young. It seemed, I, I just had a lot of shame around it. And one of the wonderful things about writing this essay for me and about working on this book is that it reclaimed that experience for me in a really positive way. I no longer look at that and think I was a bad girl. I shouldn't have done that. I look at it and I think, wow, that's amazing that this boy and I shared this really beautiful, special time and nobody got hurt and it felt good and it was really pretty magical. And and we, my husband and I like to joke that that boy... I hope that he grew up to make some people very happy because he had pretty mad skills as a 13-year-old. <laughs> That's delightful. <laughs> really. I mean, I think he probably went on to great success in the bedroom. <laughs> and how delicious is that that now you have the opportunity to actually 
embrace that experience and share that story and feel good about it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it used to be something that I like worried, like, what what was I going to talk to my own kids about when we're at that, that place? And, um, yeah, it's totally changed the conversations that we have. I mean, my kids are teenagers now, um, and that they've had to live with this book for two years. (laughs) So, um, so, but actually that's sort of a side note, but one of the best things about writing this book was the conversations it created in my own family. So what was their response to the stories? I mean, did it, did it bring up lots of really good questions or did it simply create kind of a, an atmosphere of we're allowed to talk about these things or both? You know, actually they haven't read the book. I don't okay. think, I mean, they know where the books are. Maybe they've read the book. I, I don't really think so. Um, and my son was funny, actually. He's like, maybe I won't read that one. I'll read your other books. I'm like, you know, that's cool, dude. But it's also there for you if you want to read it. Just so you know, my essay is the first one if you wanted to skip that one. Like, I don't care if you read it, but you might not want to because, you know. Um, but in any case, we just had all of these conversations all of the time in the house mm-hmm. because it was on my mind and I would be, you know, we'd be at the dinner table and be like, oh my gosh, I got this great revision on this essay. This is so amazing what this author did or, um, you know, or I would find something in the news, uh, you know, about consent or, you know, some issue that is really near and dear to my heart. And we would just have all of those conversations. So I think they feel totally comfortable coming to me with anything they want to talk about. And it's also something that they don't hesitate to engage in conversation on, whether I bring it up or or they bring it up. That feels really refreshing and wonderful. (laughs) And, and something that I hope for all of us who have young people in our lives in any capacity is normalizing these conversations so that there's the opportunity to share mistakes and regrets or to ask questions before choices are made and, and just to have the opportunity for this to not be a topic that feels like ultra icky and let's just get this over with as quickly as possible and not like share anything about it. Um, and so what a, what a beautiful thing to have cultivated in your own home. It, it feels good. I mean, I definitely feel excited about that. Um, you know, one of the things I do a lot in the context of talking about the V word is meet with parent groups mm-hmm. and mostly they just want encouragement for how to start having those sorts of conversations with their young people and, um, you know, I realize how there's so much stigma around talking about sex, honestly, anyway. Yes. And then there's, there's just the discomfort that parents and young people are trying to get past as parents are starting to see their young people as more and more adult and, you know, the changing dynamics of those relationships make it really hard to have these conversations the bottom line, though, is the more you do it, the easier it gets, the more comfortable it becomes, the more productive. And, you know, one of the things I tell parents to try and encourage them is just the, the research is so, so clear that the more information you have, the better choices you make. Yeah. Yeah. And, and something that you said earlier about virginity was you used the phrase, this cult of virginity that we have. And I love that so much. I mean, I've... 
I have listeners will know that this is one of my soapboxes, <laughs> the social construct of virginity and how yeah. it isn't a thing. And it's just used to control and, and yeah. patriarchy and, you know, like, rah. Um, but I love this phrase, the cult of virginity. And I think, you know, adults, I think even have trouble kind of unpacking what virginity really means and what it means to let go of virginity as a concept. And so, you know, especially as parents, to to start having these conversations, I think some of the discomfort also comes in and in like how do I talk about these things if I don't even really know the answers for myself and and how do we just as as human beings on this planet have conversations when we don't you know when we don't know the answers like it's okay to still talk about the thing even if you don't know all the right. answers. It's the important part is let's just start the conversation and see where it goes. And I, I think as parents, we do tend to think we need to have the answer or, you know, the, the explanation. Um, so you're right. I mean, I think that's a hard, hard thing when we're having these conversations to say, I don't know, what about this? Or what about that? Or that's a new concept for me. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And just like letting that awkwardness kind of be true. I I love, one of the things that I love the most is modeling for people that it's okay to be awkward and vulnerable and still kind of forge ahead anyway. Right. And yeah. And I think that's actually one of the things that, that the V word invites too is how can we look at all these different experiences and then think about our own experiences and then have these rich conversations where we don't have to know the answer. We can just say, look at all the possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and one other thing I just want to circle back to, uh, I know when people hear the V word, they think that, and especially a book about firsts, right? So everybody's thinking this is a book about losing your virginity. But what you talk about is that you think this is a book about something way more important than virginity. And that is voice people finding their voice around these sexual experiences and actually being able to share that. And I'd love to know, kind of, have you always felt that way or through the course of creating this book and reading all of these stories, is that kind of where you ended up? You know, what was your idea about virginity to begin with? And then how did you get to this place where this isn't about virginity, this is about voice? So it's interesting that you asked me that because when I started this book, I believed that I didn't have an agenda. Okay. We all, we kind of talked about, about how I didn't want to tell girls what to do. So I didn't want to tell them what to do. And I believe in stories and I believe in the power of sharing our stories and that's it. That's what I'm going to do. Now, I get that. I was kind of naive to think I didn't have an agenda because I think we all kind of do. Um, And what I realized through the course of working on the book in a very organic way was that my agenda was all about voice, that I felt really, really strongly that not only should we be sharing our stories, but we should be empowered to say, I like that. I want that. I don't want that. Mm, more of that, please. Um, let's not do that. No, thank you. Um, so um, honestly, my sense is that is was always there, but it took time for me to unpack that for myself. And it's funny. I mean, 
because I've never liked to talk about sex or my own sexual experiences. My husband always teases me about it. He's like, you never <laughs> told me anything about like what your life was like before. I'm like, and he's like, you don't want to know for me. I'm like, nah, no, I don't really want to know. Um, and I don't know why I was like that. I had like hippie parents that were pretty open and I certainly was well informed from a book learning perspective about sex. Um, but yeah, I didn't want to have those conversations really. And, uh, so I, I guess that's what we do as writers. We go into places that are uncomfortable for us mm-hmm. and, and it was, it's pretty cool to come out on the other side and recognize that I am totally down with having these conversations. I want to be having them all the time with anybody who wants to talk to me about them. <laughs> so now nobody can shut me up about it. I love that. Standing in the grocery store. So have you heard about the cult of virginity? <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah. Actually, as soon as you said cult of virginity, I put a little star in my notebook that said, I need a t-shirt. <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah, isn't it? <sighs> okay. It's so bit, oh. It's a little bit of a side note, but I'm working on a book right now that is a history, a feminist history of marriage. And, Ooh. um, I have a whole section in there about this cult, this idea of a cult of virginity, because certainly marriage, especially marriage historically, was all about protecting paternity, mm-hmm. right? So that's why you had to be a virgin, and that's why you had to get married when you were 14, because that's the only way that your like, way older, disgusting husband that you don't even want to marry is going to ensure that the, the small humans that come out of your vagina are his. Yep. I'm so glad you brought that up. I'd love to hear more about the book. I I wrote something on Facebook the other day that just kind of was an idea that popped into my head and I need to explore it more. And it feels like it relates to this exactly, but I was kind of starting to unpack this, um, this cultural fantasy that we have around older men and very young women and how we romanticize young women finding these much older men and we we feel like it's pretty normal for older men to be interested in very young women and and for me that's so much about like patriarchy mm-hmm. control um wanting to mold and and influence someone and also have someone who admires you and your power. And, and of course comes with that also like the purity aspect, uh, that we see as kind of coming automatically with being with a younger woman is, you know, she's less bitter, she's more pure, all that kind of crap. But in, in this book that you're writing about the feminist history of marriage, I love how this fantasy that we have now really relies on the, the way that we built our society hundreds of years ago in needing to protect this paternal line and needing to be guaranteed that this was your seed. So I I find that really fascinating. There's a long, long history behind the cultural expectations that we are still deeply invested in today. Mm Mm-hmm which is somewhat demoralizing at times (laughs) one is hoping for a new way that we can interact with each other. But yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it feels really overwhelming. 
especially when you're at that point when you've just started to really ask the questions and you really start to unpack, like, why do we value virginity? Mm-hmm. And what does this, you know, virgin horror myth mean? And, and you know, these models of the younger woman and romanticizing the older man. And, you know, it, it does feel a little like, well, crap, we haven't changed at all in 16, you know, in 600 years. We were just <laughs> labeling it differently and we have internet. Um, you know, but, but then books like yours exist and shows like this exist. And so like, at least we're, we're shifting slightly in the right direction, I hope. One of the other things that I read, I just want to pop onto this really quickly, is that you had a burlesque show at the book launch. <laughs> yes, it was so great. It was the best thing. Oh my gosh, I want to hear all about it. So a dear member of my writing critique group is also a burlesque performer and producer. And so she helped me put this, she put this show together for me. And what, uh, what we did was alternate a reading from the V word with a burlesque performance. And, uh, Nicole, the producer for this, uh, did such an amazing job of pairing these acts um, and the burlesque acts were, for the most part, were, were what is called neo-burlesque. So the acts tell a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there's more sort of a theatrical plot piece to the act as well. Uh, and so, for example, one of the performers came out in this uh, very sort of classic, like, Victorian gown with a bustle and everything. And she starts pulling these scarves out of her cleavage and they have words written on them like, like bitch or smile or slut. Um, so pulling out these words that are thrown at women in very barbed and charged ways. And then, you know, once she, she sort of takes off the gown, the outer gown, you see that the bustle is made of barbed wire or something that looks like barbed wire. Ooh. And then that comes off. And then, you know, it turns, and then she finishes her burlesque performance, and she has sort of more empowering things written on her naked body. Um, it, was, it was so great. The whole show was so great. The performers were amazing. The, the readers were incredible. And it was such um, a great night, I have to say. <laughs> That just sounds so fun. I mean, when I think about like awesome things happening, burlesque and people sharing these amazing, beautiful, vulnerable stories about first times kind of is awesome. <laughs> like that, that sounds like a magic night. Well, it was really, we sold out the whole show and people loved it. And it brought together really different groups of people, like the people who might come to a book reading and the people who like to go to burlesque shows. And so she's done several more, we call them book lovers burlesque. And the last one, um, she had picked readings from other, a lot of different literature and I did a reading. So I read the, the wedding night sex scene from Outlander where Jamie and Claire have sex for the first time. And then the performance was a male, female duo that it was like a campy version of Outlander and it was, it was hilarious. Like it was so funny and fun to read that scene and really camp it up and then get this really super saucy performance afterwards. We, we were laughing really hard. It was great. 
oh, burlesque is the best. <laughs> and to pair it with books, that's kind of, it's that's genius. a come true. I'm, yeah. <laughs> well, you were talking about readings from the book and the last thing I want to do is ask you like, what's your favorite story from the book? Because I don't think that, I mean, I, there's a thousand reasons that you love all of them. But of the stories in the book, I would love to know, is there one story that really had like an impact on you personally that either gave you permission or helped you feel uh, less ashamed of your own story or that just like really hit you in a very personal way um, that you'd like to talk about? This is very hard for you to ask me to pick my favorite. Uh, <laughs> I can't really. I mean, actually, one of the things that is really gratifying to me when people read the V word is that everybody has a different favorite story. Mm-hmm. You know, so so that I actually love about about this collection. You know, honestly, the piece that I think is the most revolutionary in this collection is the one that. Um, Alex Meeks wrote, and she's a trans woman. And in her essay, she writes about um, having sex with a girl when she was still presenting as male, having sex with a boy when she was still presenting as male, and then finally having what she considers her real first time where she has she's presenting as female and she has sex with a trans man. And that story to me captures some really, really important themes. It, mm-hmm. it beautifully illustrates this idea that, that gender and sexuality are very fluid and exist on a spectrum and, and that we should honor that and stop putting people in little boxes. And also it is just, I mean, it kind of brings me to tears every time I think about it because it was through this sexual act that she felt most truly herself. Mm-hmm. And really, I want our sexual experiences to be like that, where we bring our full self into the experience and feel heard and empowered and pleasured and all of those things from that experience. So that, that, that's the essay that I, that I come back to most frequently. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also one of the, <laughs> so I'm going to sound like just a little bit of an asshole, but you know, my assumption when I picked up your book, just like, okay, it's a story about first was that I was going to get a book of a lot of heteronormative virginity, penis and vagina kind of stories. And not that I wouldn't enjoy those, but you know, it was just kind of like, eh. and, and the deeper I got into your book, I mean, first of all, just the introduction to your book, I looked at my husband and I was like, this might be one of the most sex positive books I've ever read. <laughs> um, but then as I read all these stories and the diversity of the experiences and the permission that you created by allowing these voices to be heard and amplifying them and to have a book about firsts that includes the voice of a trans woman who gets to fully be seen 
by a partner and experience herself and her body in a way that feels totally aligned. Like that was just, I agree with you, one of the most profound parts of this book because those stories from trans voices and queer voices and marginalized voices are absent from so many of the books and the materials and the stories that are available to young people. Even young adult books, I think, have come a long way over the, you know, the last decade or so, because I, I love young adult books. But, you know, even even in young adult books, we still don't see like trans voices being centered. And so to have that story in your book stand beside so many other stories, I just thought was was a really spectacular, beautiful thing. And um, I hope that we see more books about sexuality and experiences and relationships for young people showing the spectrum instead of kind of highlighting the binaries. You know, there's really amazing young adult literature coming out right now that I think will make you very happy. And one title in particular you should read is... uh, called Beast by Bree Spangler, and it is a spectacular book that centers a trans voice right up front. Um, but yeah, there's some pretty exciting stuff being done in young adult literature, which makes me really um, pleased to be writing in that space. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I love, I love teens. I love interacting with teens. I care really deeply about teens and wanting um, them to feel... To, to dive into the V word or dive into my other books and feel like their experience is, is worth sharing is worth a story. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a lot of the, those are, that's sort of some of the themes around my next novel that comes out in April um, where I was really trying to explore what it means to be in a girl's body today and how, what, what does it look like if you really claim that territory for yourself instead of having other people tell you what you should do with it? Tell me more about that. I am so excited. When I saw, when I was reading all about you and I saw that you have this new novel coming out that explores, you know, themes around control and consent and physicality and and being in a girl's body at this particular point in history, I got so excited. So I would love it if you could tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting because it really is a direct outgrowth of the V word, which will be, you'll have to let me know after you read the novel, if you can, if you see that. Um, I, I don't know that the novel would exist in the way it does if I hadn't written the V word, which is, again, one of the cool things about being a writer, the way your different experiences cross-pollinate like that. Um, but the book is called Point Claw, and it alternates in the perspective of two two girls they're both 17 one jesse is a elite ballet dancer and she is working really hard to be in perfect control of her body so that she can get a spot in the in the company where she is a, is a pre-professional student and the other girl dawn is suffering from a medical condition that nobody can really figure out. Um, that lots of doctors are like poo-pooing that it's in her head. It's like related to your period, you know, woman problems. Um, she's dismissed a lot because she is, uh, but she's losing time. She wakes up from blackouts and she doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know how she got there. Her body is bruised and battered. And so there are these two characters 
who, you know, one is in perfect control of her body, the other's losing control of her body. And they were childhood friends, uh, torn apart for reasons they didn't really understand. Um, and, uh, you know, they sort of crash back into one another and, um, and are trying to figure out really how to claim the territory they want to occupy when there are so many ways that, um, that adults are trying to push them into particular little boxes. Mm, Yes. And it really explores, um, deep female friendships, especially the kinds of friendships that that I had as a young girl that I think many women had that involved sexual play in, uh, that we don't ever talk about because shame. Yes. Uh, so they certainly had that kind of a friendship when they were young. Um, when they come back together, um, they are definitely exploring very fluid sexualities. Mm. Um, Dawn is, is pretty solidly uh, a lesbian, but definitely Jesse has much more fluidity in who she's attracted to. Um, so there's also this sort of a sexual connection between them that I think also many women have experienced, but maybe don't talk about, especially women who, you know, are claim the straight label um, where you can be really, really, really close to another woman and, as friends and then discover that there is sort of a sexual undertone to that. Um, so that's, that's part of the book. And I think another important part of the book is really how their mothers are trapped in a much more traditional view of what it means to be a woman. And so you see these girls in contrast to their mothers, as well as this sort of landscape of male figures who are very busy trying to smash them into little boxes. Yeah. Okay. There's like a thousand things I want to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, I love this exploration of girls and kind of the fluidity that some experience around their sexuality. I remember when I was, I must've been around 18 And my best friend at the time uh, got some ecstasy. And so we decided to try it. And so we we took the ecstasy and we were doing what you do on ecstasy, which is just like float around. And (laughs) but I remember like it was a super sensual experience for me. And so we were like touching street lamps and trees and bushes and just like marveling in the sensations. And in that moment, I had this like deep urge to feel her naked body against mine. Mm -hmm. And I kind of expressed it to her in kind of like a jokey way just to see how it would land. And she was pretty horrified by it. And I remember feeling in that moment, like, but I like boys. I, you know, everybody always called me boy crazy and I had done all these things with boys. And so like, this couldn't possibly be true. It must just be the drugs. And then, you know, like three years later, I have a girlfriend and, you know, I had discovered drag kings and how much I love kind of like that gender bendy thing. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, like it had never, nobody had ever given me that permission. I didn't know that it was possible to 
to like boys and also have these sensual feelings for this girlfriend of mine that I was really close with. And and being able to blame the drugs was convenient because then I was able to tuck it away. But years later to look back and realize like maybe that was just removing this barrier and allowed me to, f- to finally experience something that I just kind of thought I wasn't allowed to. Um, so I love that that's a theme in the book. And, you know, something else that I love too is I think that regardless of your gender, you know, both your family and your society put such strict rules around what it means to have this certain set of genitals. And so boys are expected to kind of take without asking and wait for the no and, and to be strong and not feel their feelings. And girls are expected to conform and to, to wait to be asked. And, you know, I think we see some of that changing, but you know, not fast enough for my liking. And so I love that you're using this, the mother's experiences to help kind of contrast the way that these teen girls are experiencing their bodies and their, their girlhood, um, to kind of show how, like, even as adults, we can get so trapped in, in what it means to be a woman and what it means to be in a certain kind of body, a certain gender, a certain sexuality, right? It can feel like a trap. Yeah, I I have a lot of empathy for the moms in this book, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they're doing their very best. um, But really without understanding, yeah, these these constrictions that are placed upon them. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I do have so much optimism about millennials and about Mm -hmm. teens today. I just, I I really have a lot of... um, faith that they are having a broader and more nuanced perspective of a lot of these things than even my generation had. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm teaching sex ed to some med students right now. I have a group of about five and I think there are, yeah, I think they're like 22 to 24 is kind of the range there. And they're all first year, second year med students. And, and I remember before I met them, my assumption was I'm going to have to spend so much of my time unpacking all of this sex negativity. I'm going to have to talk to them about like gender issues and trans issues and all this kind of stuff. And, and what's been so wonderful is all of the students that I have in my group, they may not feel comfortable with the nuance of talking to a trans person about their sexual experience, but they're endlessly curious about like, tell me more about kink. Tell me more about, um, you know, non-binary genders. Tell me more about, um, orgasms. And, and they just have this like beautiful curiosity and openness. Um, even when it's really clear that what we're talking about, like on our last call, we were talking about non-monogamy and polyamory as a, as a choice that some of their patients might engage in. So how can you use language that's inclusive of monogamous and non-monogamous folks? And, and one of them made it really clear that she is super, against anything other than monogamy for herself, but she still had this really beautiful openness and how can I make it safe for my patients who come to me? And that feels hopeful to me that there's this group of young people who are just entering the medical field who have all of this curiosity and this burning desire to create safe spaces for spectrums instead of filling out sheets that force people into boxes. And so I think you're right. Like there, there are some wonderful things that are, 
that are brewing. <laughs> I hope that it could, I hope it doesn't get squashed in the current climate, but you know, I hope that that continues to be nurtured. Yeah, I hope so too. I mean, I think, I mean, I think it's one of the wonderful things about being able to, about some of the storytelling that's happening um, in movies and in books and on TV. And, you know, I remember when, um, you know, when the Supreme Court ruled on marriage equality, my daughter, I don't know, she was maybe 10 or so at the time, she said, Mitch and Cameron are going to be so happy, right? From, from Modern Family. <laughs> yes. They're not even real, but yes, they can get married now. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Um, you know, so I, I think, um, you know, just in terms of the, the range of experiences that young people are exposed to through media, through books like the V word or through some, you know, some of the best fiction that's out there. I, um, I think they know that there's a little bit more to the landscape than people did in previous generations. Yeah. Knowledge is power. I agree. Knowledge is power. And, and not just this prescriptivist knowledge of lecturing at young people about what they should or shouldn't be doing, but instead this knowledge of investigating other people's experiences so that you have an opportunity to decide what yours might look like. Yeah. Because wouldn't it be nice if we all moved into our earliest sexual experiences with intention, mm -hmm. right? Instead yeah. of, this is something that happened to me. Wow. I don't know what happened. You know, that this is like, oh, well, that's interesting. It could be like this or it could be like this. I could make choices that would sort of cultivate a certain kind of experience for myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or instead of feeling like you lost something or that someone took something that you can't ever get back, instead being able to look at it as, you know, a first among many firsts. And, and I think that's something else that's missing from our conversation is I think so often we think of firsts as being something that's unique to youth, mm. but we can have firsts our entire life. And hopefully we do, you know, we can have firsts with each partner we have and firsts with, with our bodies as they change. And I think that's something else that I really hope all of us include in the dialogue that we have with young people is like the firsts never stop. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. how can we invite that in? I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. Well, I would love to end by putting you on the spot a little bit mm -hmm. and feel free to say, I am so not ready for this. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> since the theme this month is firsts, I know you shared a little bit about the story that you included in the book, but I was wondering, is there any other first that you might want to share with us that, um, you've either been thinking about since you wrote the book or, or that just amuses you a little bit, um, that you might share? Hmm. So that's, you know, my first thought is there are so many different things to choose from because you're right that we have many first-time experiences. Um, but I think I think the first that's been on my mind a lot, especially because of writing Point Claw, was um, was really the first intimate experience I had with a woman. And I had always had like girl crushes and stuff, and that was cool. Um, but mostly had had male partners. Um, but there was sort of this little window of time where I had this very, very intense friendship that developed over email 
uh, when I was living abroad, so with the, with a woman, and um, and it was most definitely an experience where this really deep, intimate friendship led to an inevitability of an intimate physical relationship when we were back in the same country at the same time again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that, that, that incredible synthesis between when you really feel like you know someone's heart and mind and soul in that really profound way, and then it leads to a physicality, um, is, is what I had really hoped to capture in a really critical part of Point Claw. Mm. So even though the circumstances are very different, it is that idea that when we come together sexually, we can be saying, I see you and you really see me and that that is incredibly profound. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And now I'm like so excited for Point Claw to come out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, Amber, I would love it if you could share with everybody who's listening how they can stay in touch with you, find you online, uh, and, and just generally see all of the amazing books that you've put out because you have a wide variety of books you've put out over the years. Sure. So um, I'm online pretty frequently. I'm really active on Twitter at Amber J. Kaiser. Um, My last name is K-E-Y-S-E-R. My website is AmberJKaiser.com. It's pretty easy to find me. And I hope you'll connect and reach out. That would be great. Yes. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and digging into these really wonderful topics with me. I hope everyone who's listening will check out the V word either for yourself or to share with someone in your life, a young person. It's a beautiful book. Um, and of course, if you have any comments or questions you'd like to share with me, or if you have your own first that you'd like featured on the show, please go to sexgetsreal.com for this episode. You can find all of Amber's links, links to the book, and of course, an opportunity to communicate with me. So until next week, this is Dawn Sarah. I will talk to you soon.